If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We have the wonderful privilege this morning of getting to consider what God has so graciously revealed to us in his word. And we come now in our series to 1 Corinthians 13, which is a beautiful chapter. One of the most beloved and well-known chapters in all of the Bible. Uh, it's the chapter that's probably most often read at weddings, right? And so, in a moment, as I, as I read this passage, if you start to suddenly feel underdressed for the occasion, that's probably why. Um, and, uh, and while this is a, a great passage to read at a wedding, uh, it is good to be reminded that Paul wrote this letter not for a wedding ceremony, but for the church. 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter written to the church, giving us instructions on how we are to relate to each other as a family of believers. The church in Corinth, as we remember, was a church that was divided over many things. And as we've been speaking of for the past few weeks, one of the things that the church was divided of was over the use of the spiritual gifts. There were certain people in the church who were elevating particular gifts, like the gift of prophecy, uh, elevating them over other gifts, and so much so that those who did not have these particular gifts were feeling left out of the church and they were made to feel like inferior Christians. And so Paul is saying, this is all wrong. The, the whole point of the spiritual gifts is to encourage the church, to build up the church, to, to increase the unity of the church. And so he says to Corinth, you need to find a better way of relating to each other than this. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to show that better way. So read with me now 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as even as I have been fully known. Now faith and hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Before we unpack this passage together, I wanna take a few moments to speak more broadly about the spiritual gifts and how we think about them as a church for today. If you've been with us for the past several weeks and you've, you've heard us talk a lot about the spiritual gifts and how they are used for the encouragement and the building up of the church. And that in chapters 12 through 14, 
This is what these chapters are all about, right? And in these chapters, Paul speaks often about the miraculous gifts, the gifts like prophecy and healing and speaking in tongues. And and something that we haven't yet done in this sermon series is talk about some of the different ways that Christians think about these gifts and whether or not they are still for the church today. And the reason that we haven't spoken a lot about this is that in these chapters, Paul isn't trying to defend the use of the spiritual gifts. He's just assuming that these are gonna be a part of the life of the church. But the reason I'm gonna speak to these different opinions now is that that there is a verse in chapter 13 that is often used by those who, who disagree over these things to defend their viewpoints. And so it seems like this is a good opportunity to to right now just take a few moments to to speak about this in a little more detail. So typically, Christians would fall into two different camps when it comes to the spiritual gifts, the cessationist camp and the continuationist camp. So those in the cessationist camp would see that spiritual gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues are gifts that God gave to the church for a short period of time to authenticate the apostles' ministry and their writings in the early years of the church. And that these gifts were were used by God to accompany um, the apostles in their ministries um, and to help demonstrate that their ministries were in fact from the Lord. But they would say that once the entirety of the Bible had been written and once the last of the apostles had died, that these miraculous gifts were, were being ceased giving to the church. And as evidence for this, they would point to the fact that 1 Corinthians is one of the earlier letters of Paul and that Paul does not seem to address spiritual gifts in a whole lot of his later letters. Uh, They would also point to 1 Corinthians 13, verses eight through 10, which does speak to a time that these gifts will come to an end. It says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so these verses talk about a time when the perfect comes, where the spiritual gifts will cease to be given. And cessationists believe that that when verse 10 talks about the perfect coming, that this is a reference to the completion of the writings of the New Testament. And then now that the New Testament has been written, that part of the apostles' ministry has ceased, and so has some of these spiritual gifts that accompanied that ministry. The other view would be the continuationist view. And this is the view that we joyfully hold to as a church here at Redeemer Fellowship, which would say that none of these gifts have ceased, but that God continues to give the church gifts of healing and prophecy and speaking in tongues even today. And while 1 Corinthians is one of the few letters that that speaks specifically to these spiritual gifts, it, it seems reasonable that Paul did not just that he did not see a need to address these things in some of his other letters to other churches because these churches were not struggling with this unity in the same way that the church of Corinth was. And while Paul does speak of that time when the perfect comes and that these gifts will pass away, I believe that this is better to be understood to refer to the second coming of Christ where the need for prophecy and healing will be no more because we will be in the full presence of Christ in a restored creation. Verse 12 speaks of that future day. and It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And throughout scripture, this phrase face to face is used to refer to being in the presence of God and to seeing him personally. 
And this is the glorious day that we as Christians long for. But until that day, Paul calls us to continue to desire these spiritual gifts and to pursue the practice of them for the edification of the church. And so that is the continuationist view. And we love this view. And we love that this is the practice of our church when we gather together as we are now. But again, not, not all Christians would hold to that same position, and that's okay. We, we find unity together first and foremost in holding up God's word as the ultimate authority of our lives. Because it's God's word that all of our experiences, that all the works of the spirit, that, that all of our lives must be held up to. So, so that is a, a very brief explanation of some of the different ways that, that Christians think through these things. And now after that, that intro here, let, let's now turn to God's word, to 1 Corinthians 13, and make our way through this wonderful chapter. Here's the, the main idea that Paul is getting at in these verses. When we serve others, what matters most is the love that we have for them. When we serve others, what matters most is the love that we have for them. And as we consider this main idea, we're gonna look at three points. The primacy of love, the practice of love, and the purpose of love. I'm sorry, the person of love. So point one, the primacy of love. Paul begins chapter 13 with three very strong and kind of surprising statements. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Back when I was in college, I worked as a security guard and the company that I worked for this one year was given a somewhat unusual request. The company that, that hired us had been the process of, of shredding uh, a bunch of documents which apparently were very sensitive in nature. So they'd been taking all these documents out of their secure locations and they were putting them in this big warehouse where the next week they would all be shredded together. But they couldn't just leave these boxes in this warehouse unguarded so they hired us to provide 24-hour security for this large pile of boxes. And so for the next several days, we, we worked hard. We were very diligent. Night and day, we provided security over these boxes, making sure that nobody would touch them. And then the next week, a large truck was brought to the warehouse. In the back of this truck was this massive shredder in which all these boxes were going to be shredded. But as people started grabbing these boxes to take them over to this, this shredder, they realized that most of these boxes were completely empty. And so in their surprise, they, they called all the bosses over to figure out what was going on. And as it turns out, for the, fa the past four days, we had been guarding the wrong pile of boxes. Now, I'm not sure how this happened. Uh, I never heard where the real boxes were. I know that a few people got fired. But somehow, we spent all week thinking that we were working really hard, doing this great job. I mean, we did our job well. We were diligent. But in the end, we accomplished nothing. Our focus was on the wrong pile of boxes. And all that we accomplished was wasting a lot of time and making a lot of people angry. 
was not our finest moment. And I think that this is similar to the frustration that Paul was having with the church of Corinth. In the previous chapter, Paul was encouraging the church of Corinth to serve one another, to work hard at investing and building into the church of God. And Paul was reminding them that God had given us these gifts and these abilities and that we are to use them to be a blessing to those around us. But the problem in Corinth was not that they weren't working hard. It was not that they were failing to exercise their spiritual gifts. The problem was that their focus was on the wrong thing. Their focus was not on the good of others. Their focus was on their own selfish gain. They were serving a lot, but it was for the sake of their own reputation. They were using spiritual gifts, but in a way that belittled other people in the church. They had the appearance of wisdom and spirituality, but they were often accomplishing nothing of real value. So Paul has strong words for them. He says in the opening verses, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he's saying you could speak in tongues, you could exercise all the spiritual gifts, and you could even somehow, if you're able to attain the ability to speak in the heavenly language of the angels, like how spiritual that would be, right? But, but if you have not love, it's all just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Imagine if, if while I was teaching right now, Joel got up from his seat and walked up on stage with a, a large gong in his hand and just started smashing it again and again with a hammer. How distracting and annoying that would be, right? But in fact, it's, it's, it's worse than that because Paul actually says that, that what he's talking about is, is the sound of gongs or cymbals that were associated with, with pagan worship of the day. So, so think about that. He's saying that, that our best efforts at service and the use of the spiritual gifts, if love is not the motive, it's no better than a pagan ritual. And then Paul goes on. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so we can have words of encouragement for one another, we can pray good sounding prayers. We can understand that the will of God. We, we, can, we can have the greatest theological knowledge of anyone in our fellowship group. We can have this great appearance of faith. But if we have not love, then we are nothing. And if I give all I have away, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. How about this one? We can be the most generous people in the world. We can give lots of money to the poor. We can, we can tithe large amounts of our wealth to the church. We, we can run ourselves ragged doing good things even to the point where we would give our very lives for somebody. But if we have not love, then we gain nothing. And notice here that, that Paul doesn't say that if we serve without love that we gain only a small amount. He, he doesn't say that if we serve without love, then we are only a little bit impressive. No, he says without love, we are nothing. We gain nothing. And so what this means is that it's possible for us to live a life where on the outside, it looks like we are really spiritual people. We serve a lot, but, but all along, we can be lacking the things that truly make us spiritual. Now, as we are challenged by these things, we need to say that 
that Paul's heart here is not to just give us another thing to do. Paul's heart is not to burden us with yet another responsibility. The point that Paul is making here is just that, that outward service itself is not what matters. What matters is the love that we have for those that we serve. What matters is a heart that desires good for others. And this is what matters most to God because as we will see, this is the love that God himself has for us. And this is the love that God has enabled us as a church to have for one another. Service done in love is what is primary in God's eyes. And so with that in mind, let us now see what Paul says about this love. In verses four through eight, Paul describes what a life of love looks like. He says, in your service, in your relationships, it should be characterized by the following things. Then he lists 15 things that love looks like. And he breaks this list down to things that love does and things that love does not do. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not the only thing that could be said about what love is, but there's, there's purpose and there's wisdom in identifying these things in particular and seeking to emulate them in our lives. So let's read them together again. This is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Verse four begins by describing love as patient and kind. And I actually like the way that the the King James version of the Bible translates this verse. It says that love suffereth long. What a wonderful way of putting that. What it means is that love is, is willing to put up with other people's deficiencies. And how wise of Paul to call us to this first, right? Because just like in the church of Corinth, our church, our homes, our relationships are filled with deficient people, right? People in our lives are hard to love. And I don't think I really need to argue that point hard this morning, right? Paul didn't seem to need to argue that point either, right? I think we can just generally agree that people are hard to love. And of course, so are you, and, and so am I. We, we are difficult people to love, right? And, and how wise of Paul to start with the call to be patient and kind. Because if, if we aren't willing to be patient and kind with one another, then there's really no whole, there's not a whole lot of point in going through the rest of this list, if we are unwilling to suffer long and to endure the difficulty of of dealing with difficult people, and there's no way for us to grow in love for one another. We're going to mistreat each other. People in this room are gonna make life difficult for you. Your parents are going to make unfair decisions at times. People in your fellowship group are gonna sin against you. Us as pastors are going to disappoint you. <laughs> By God's grace, hopefully not all the time, right? But, but it's kind of what we do, right? We, we are broken, sinful people, and we mistreat each other. But love is patient when we do. Love is willing to suffereth long. It keeps on loving. 
But love is not just patient. Love is not just passive in enduring difficulty. Love is active. It's kind. But love does not say, okay, you have disappointed me, but I will put up with that, but I'm going to withhold good from you as I do so. Love does not say, okay, I forgive you, but I'm going to sit in this next room and give you the cold shoulder for the rest of the day. No, love is active, love is kind, love pursues the other person with an intention to do them good. Love takes a step beyond just patience and it moves towards that person to show them kindness even when and particularly when it is not deserved. Love does not envy or boast. And what this means is that love does not allow our relationships to live in rivalry and competition with one another. Love does not crave honor for itself. Love does not brag to others about its accomplishments. Love is not jealous when others are praised for it. And church, this one in particular, the Lord has been working on in my own heart. I can be an envious person. And I can be prone to self-pity and not feel great confidence in myself. And that can make it difficult when I see other people doing well. And this past year, God has just really been showing me how that is affecting me and how that is affecting others in my life, even in ministry here in the church. When I, when I see other people, when I, when I see other, other guys on the pastoral team caring for somebody well or delivering a great sermon or receiving praise from somebody it causes me to be envious because I want to be the one accomplishing something good. I want that, that, that I want to be the one spoken of highly. And that can produce all types of bad stuff in my heart. It can keep me back from rejoicing in the good things that God is doing. It can, it can hold me back even from encouraging somebody because, because if I encourage them, that only highlights even more the ways that I think they are better than me and it can make me even more discouraged, right? It's, it, and sometimes I can even be tempted to judge that person because, because if I can convince myself that their motives are somehow less than honorable, then that somehow justifies the ill feelings that I have towards them. It's, it's so twisted. Envy and boasting, it just, it's a refusing to be glad at somebody else's good. It wants glory for me. It's a, a self-centeredness that refuses to consider other people more important than themselves. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Paul goes on here with this theme of self-seeking and, and, he, and he speaks of how often we can be so enamored with our own self-interest and how often we are, we are willing to put others down or to talk over them or to, to trample over their desires in order to prove that our way is best. And I think that there is application here, especially when it comes to our words, when it comes to how we speak with one another. And not just what we say, but, but how we say it. I, I love how practical Paul is here. He says, love is not rude. I'm reading this book right now about the life and the times of Abraham Lincoln, and this book mentioned the practice of dueling back in American history, where, where if you were offended by somebody or wronged by somebody, you could challenge them to a duel. And while this practice was technically illegal, there was a time where it was somewhat commonly practiced. 
but it usually never actually ended in shots being fired at each other because the, the seriousness of the duel would usually make somebody back down from what they have done or said and, and do the honorable thing and apologize, right? But back then, I guess you, you really had to be careful about your words, right, and how they were going to affect somebody else because if you weren't careful, someone might walk up to you and say, walk 10 paces that way and then let's shoot at each other, right? Can you imagine if that practice was common in our day today with the things that we are willing to say to each other online as we defend our political positions, with the ways that we are willing to speak about each other behind their backs, with the, with the angry words that we are able to shout at our spouses as we, as we seek to prove that we are the ones that were right, right? We feel free to be rude and arrogant and careless with our words, but love is cautious. It is quick to listen. It is willing to, to meet somebody halfway. It, it disagrees respectfully, seeking to maintain unity and affection with that person. Love is not irritable or resentful. Returning again to the times where we are wronged by somebody, Paul says that, that love is not easily angered. Love does not keep a record of wrong. Love does not wish to enact revenge. Love is willing to trust in God that he will settle the score. Love does not harbor bitterness. It does not forgive only to bring up past wrongdoings years later and allow that to rekindle its anger. Love is eager to extend forgiveness and cover up a multitude of sins. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love refuses to join in with gossip. It is not glad when somebody else fails. It refuses to take delight in evil. Instead, it rejoices with the truth. And when Paul is speaking of the truth, he means the gospel, the, the hope that we have in Christ, which affects us and causes us to want mercy and forgiveness even towards those who have wronged us and even towards those who we find hard to love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Paul concludes this list with a reminder of how love is a movement toward another person. It is a desire for their good, a, a willingness to endure wrong while at the same time wanting what is best for that person. And to do so with confidence, believing not just the best in that person, but even more than that, believing what God is able to accomplish in our life and in their life through our love for one another. We live hopeful that the Spirit of God is able to empower us to love in these ways. As we, as we come to our final point this morning, we're, we're gonna end where Paul ends, with a great hope in what God has accomplished and what he is going to accomplish. As we read this description of love, we, we want this, right? We want this for our church, we want this for our homes, we want this for our friendships, and the Spirit of God empowers us to do that now. But a day is coming when we will love each other perfectly. In verse 12, Paul speaks of that coming day. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What Paul is speaking of here is a day when we will be brought into the full presence of God. And what we see now only dimly, we will then see face to face. We will know God fully. We will experience God's love fully. And then we will be able to fully love. What a hope we have in that day, church. But until that day, we look to him, the person of love for help. Which leads to our third point, the person of love. So we read 1 Corinthians 13, and we wanna know, okay, how can we love like this? And maybe we can become discouraged, because really, how can we do this, right? But again, Paul is not saying, here is yet another thing you need to do. He's not trying to guilt us into loving each other better. He's saying this is possible because of who Christ is and because of who you are in Christ. And if we really wanna be moved by this description in verses four through seven, if we really want to love like this, then we should, we should read these verses first, not as something that we do, but as a love that we have first received. When we talk about what love is, what love does, we ought to think first of the love that God has for us. And we see his love all through this description in 1 Corinthians 13. And so let's consider just a few of them. Love is patient. Consider the patience of God towards us. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God's natural response is to be patient with us. He is slow to anger. Think think about how quick we are to be agitated with each other, how quick we are to lash out each other in anger, but God is quick to be gracious and kind. He is eager to bless us. Whereas we have to work hard at loving others, that is actually God's default mode towards his church. He is abounding in love for us. He is easily provoked to show us kindness. Love is not rude. Consider the graciousness of God towards us. He is not condescending towards us. He listens to us. He does not humiliate us when we make mistakes. He does not mock us for our weaknesses. He does not speak harshly to tear us down. He is wise and intentional in the way he speaks to us for our good. Love is not resentful. When we sin against God, he is quick to forgive. He does not bring up our past mistakes and hold them against us. If in Christ you have been forgiven of your sins, he will never turn his back on you. He will never make himself unavailable to you. He will never wish harm on you because of your sins. Instead he says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He is not a resentful God. Love does not insist on its own way. 
Consider with me Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane as he, can, as he contemplated the agony of the cross that was before him. In fear and in sorrow, sweating blood in that garden. Considering the cup of God's wrath that he was about to drink in full knowing he deserved none of it. And yet he says to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Instead of insisting on his rights, on his own desires, Jesus was willing to lay his life down for us. Love endures all things. Consider the beatings of Christ. Consider the thorns driven into his head. Consider the crowds that mocked Christ. And consider that with a word, as Matthew 26 says, he could have cried out to his father who would have sent down an army from heaven to destroy his enemies. Consider how he, by his own power, could have wiped out those who were nailing him to a cross. But had he done so, our redemption would have been lost. And so instead, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he endured the cross, and he endured the wrath of God, and by his stripes, we were healed. Love never ends. Consider how Christ's love for us on the cross did not end there. But he rose from that grave, right? And he conquered sin and Satan and now sits on his throne reigning over his church with an everlasting love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in Christ we have this confidence that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love never ends. And church, let us fix our eyes this week on the person of love, who has loved us, who empowers us to love. And let us glorify Christ by walking in that power and loving one another. Let me pray.